Let's read the Word of God together. We'll begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul here is defending the legitimacy and the power of his ministry. He begins to tell them in, in chapter 3 of the effects that the Spirit of God has had through the new covenant ministry that God has given to him as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he speaks of their sufficiency. And then it says in verse 5, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our Father in heaven, as we come before you, we expect to hear you speak to us through your written word. And we pray, Father, that your promise that you will give to us, your spirit, when we ask, will be fulfilled. Give to us your spirit that we might have eyes only for Jesus and we might have hearts for Christ. I pray, Father, that you would put before the eyes of our hearts a vision of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that will be transformative to our lives. I pray that you would give us eyes to see your son, that our lives would be changed into his image. Father, sometimes we are discouraged, often we are discouraged, by the slowness and the struggle of this process of change, of sanctification. I pray, Father, that each one here would realize that we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. That the change that has been made in us is truly a glorious change. 
We are being made into the image of your son. What a wonderful thing. Thank you. I pray that every heart here would yearn for that change and pursue it. May your spirit work today. Father, pour out your spirit for the glory of your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Do you remember when you were a kid? And I, I know that there's a, there's a few kids here. But uh, for those of you who are adults now, or even late teens, you're far enough along, you may remember when you were a kid how far away adulthood seemed, didn't it? I, I remember when I was in the sixth grade, I thought that it would never end. I thought it was going to last a whole lifetime. Perhaps you felt the same way. Kind of give me some kind of agreement. You just felt like you had... You never would get to this point. But I I imagine that you had a dream of what you would be when you finally got here. Maybe you acted out that dream with dolls in a dollhouse or with some kind of digger in the dirt. Or in my case, it was with a a ball glove and a ball and a bat. I had the the thing that I, I wanted the most for the longest time when I was a kid was to be a ball player. My nephew, William, uh, my sister's son, is a lot like I was when I was a kid. Uh, But he's even got off to an earlier start with his love for baseball. Uh, He lives in Toronto. In fact, a good many of you have met William. Um, My sister and her husband were here with William five or six years ago. He was just, uh, he was younger than Joel, just a little thing. But uh, he lives in Toronto, and um, he loves the Toronto Blue Jays. A little boy after my own heart. This past summer, the Toronto Blue Jays played in their longest game in their history. Uh, They played 19 innings of ball, clocked in at 6 hours and 37 minutes. And my sister and her family were at this game, and while they were there watching all of this unfold, she was posting pictures on, on Facebook. And I, I got home, it must have been a Saturday or something, I got home Saturday afternoon and, and began to see these pictures and got up to date on the game, realized it was in extra innings, and this game went on and on and on, and as it did, she was posting pictures. So there was four-year-old Maddie, my niece, absolutely bored out of her mind, you know, draped over the rail and uh, sucking on her thumb, eyes half-closed. I mean, forget reaching adulthood. She can't even imagine reaching home. This game is stretching on for so long. And then there's pictures of William, my nephew. And he's just lit up, huge smile on his face, thumbs up for every picture, riveted by this baseball game, loving the fact that he's, you know, he's getting more than usual, inning after inning that goes on, and he just loves every single minute of it. If you would uh, see William anytime you see William, He's acting out a baseball game. So he's, got, he, he, he's batting from the imaginary left side of the plate, and he's, he's swinging that imaginary bat and hitting that imaginary ball in the bottom of the imaginary ninth inning for an imaginary home run. He's fascinated with baseball. Even when he can't visualize it on the screen or at the ball game, He's visualizing it in his mind. And, and what do you think he dressed up as uh, for, for Halloween? 
He dressed up as a Toronto Blue Jays baseball player. Everybody knew there was no mystery in this costume. The truth of this is that you become what you behold. You become what you behold, and you strive to become what you behold. So it's constantly acting out baseball because that's his great love. He's constantly imagining it, even when he can't actually watch it. And so he's striving to become what he sees. Do you remember your childhood dreams and what you wanted to be? I'm not going to ask you this morning if you're glad for what you have become. Because you haven't arrived yet. You haven't arrived. I know that we're, most of us here are adults by now. But I mean spiritually. You haven't arrived. But I do want to ask you this. Are you glad for what you're becoming? Are you glad for what you're becoming? Are you glad for what you are being changed into? My goal for this morning is that when you leave from here, you will leave here rejoicing for the day in which you live. Not simply today, this beautiful fall Sunday that we have, but rejoicing that we live in this new day, this era, this new covenant day. I want you to leave rejoicing that we live in these last times which have been in place since Pentecost, which have been in place since the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven poured out the Holy Spirit. I want you to leave rejoicing that the end of the ages has come upon us. Because in this day, change is taking place in our lives. We are being changed, we are being transformed into the image of God's Son from one degree of glory to another. And this is happening because we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God. So my goal is that you'll rejoice in this day and you will take advantage of every means of grace that God has given to us to see this transformation happen. We know the story of Old Testament Israel. When you think Old Testament Israel, you think failure. Absolutely miserable failure. How many times did they fail and not learn their lesson and and not change? I mean, from the time that they were brought out of Egypt in about 1446 B.C. until the time of their exile from the land of promise, about 850 or so years later, they did not change. I want to tell you why. And I want to show you what the difference is for the people of God today. So we're going to go back to Exodus 34, and you, you can turn there if you'd like. For those of you who haven't been here, most of you have, We are in the 10th week and the final Sunday of our series, The Glorious God. And we have been spending a lot of time in Exodus 33, in Moses' prayer, please show me your glory, and a lot of time in Exodus 34, in the revelation of that glory. And we have especially been concentrating 
our attention on the fulfillment of God's revelation of his glory in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Moses prayed, please show me your glory, God promised him, you remember, that all of his goodness would pass before Moses and he would declare to Moses his name, the Lord. So atop Sinai, Moses went up and God came down in the cloud and declared before Moses his name. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their descendants to the third and fourth generation. So God said, I'm going to declare to you my name, Moses. And what did that mean? We talked about this last week. What's in a name? It's not simply a label. He wasn't saying, I am Yahweh, nice to meet you. He wasn't spelling out the letters of his name. With the declaration of his name came the declaration of God's perfections. We see that in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. As he speaks of his great, marvelous attributes. And with this declaration came an accompanying display of light. And we haven't spoken a lot of that, but it was an awesome display of light that would be fitting to the awesome declaration of the perfections of God. The result for Moses was that when he saw this and when he heard this, he bowed his face to the earth and he worshiped. Now I'm just going to summarize. We don't have the time to read it in Exodus 34. But it says in the following verses that Moses remained in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he did not during that time eat any food or drink any water, but he was sustained by the word of the Lord. When he descended from the mountain, he came with the two tablets of stone that contained the old covenant word, the Ten Commandments. What he didn't realize as he came down the mountain is that the traces of the glory that he had seen were now being reflected in his face. And you can see that. We're not going to read it, but just scan over it in verses 28 to 29. And a good many of you will remember this account from Exodus. The, the, the light of the glory of God that he had seen was now reflected off of his face. When his brother Aaron and the other people of Israel see this, they're afraid to approach him. Immediately, in fact, they withdraw from him. He persuades them, he calls after them, and they do finally come to him. And at that time, Moses declares to them all that God has spoken. And this takes us down through verses 31 to 33. But there's a note here at the end of Exodus 34, in verses 34 and 35, that from that time on, whenever Moses would emerge from the tent of meeting where he had spoken with God, and the people of Israel would see the shining of the glory reflected off his face, Moses would put this veil over his face so that he could speak to the people. Whenever he would go back in to the tent of meeting and speak with God, 
and meet with God in his glory, he would remove the veil. And that's what we have been reading allusions to in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That's what Paul is talking about throughout 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Israel could not bear the light of the glory of God. Going back to the question, why was Israel unchanged? It's no wonder that that particular generation that had been brought out of, out of Egypt, out of that slavery with incredible miracles, ended up dying in the wilderness and not inheriting the land that God had promised them. Because they could not bear the light of the glory of God. They had no heart for, for the glory of God. And, and here's the key. What they could not behold didn't have the power to change them. What they could not behold couldn't change them. They could, or to put it this way, they could not become what they could not behold. And so it continued on for hundreds of years of their history until finally they were exiled from the land of promise. This unchanged, stubborn, hard-hearted, as the Bible would say, stiff-necked people Refused to change. But at the end of that 800 years within the land, God sent some prophets. They had hit that spiritual proverbial rock bottom. And it was not to their fear. It was not the end of them. Now was the time, in fact, to lift their heads in hope. Because God sent to the people of Israel his prophet Jeremiah, who is a first-hand witness of the siege of Jerusalem and the exile. He sent to them as an exile himself, the prophet Ezekiel. And both Jeremiah and Ezekiel promised that there would be a new day and there would be a new covenant. And God would put within his people his Holy Spirit. God who said, let light shine out of darkness in the first creation has now, I'm reading, I'm going to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. God has now shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the day has changed. It is not the day of the old letter. It is the age of the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to realize that the new creation which we are longing for, has already begun. The new creation has already begun to break in, not in the planet, which still is held to the bondage of its corruption, but the new creation has begun in the people of God. And so the Bible declares that we are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So for nine weeks, I have, I have urged you to make this your prayer before the Lord. Please show me your glory. And I have urged you to, to focus your longing and the expectation of answer and the eyes of your heart upon Jesus Christ. Because as I've been saying, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, which was a great answer and a glorious answer to Moses' prayer, please show me your, 
glory is not the final answer for our praying. Show us your glory, Lord. Jesus is. Jesus is the face of the glory of God. So, uh, let's get more into 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In the letter of 2 Corinthians, Paul is having to defend his ministry against men that he calls peddlers of the word of God. They claim to be apostles. Paul, rather sarcastically, later in the letter, will call them super apostles. But they are of the health and wealth type. They openly scoff the suffering of Paul as, in their minds, an alleged apostle. What kind of follower of Jesus Christ sent out as his apostle would suffer like this? Is the kinds of things that they were saying. So Paul is defending his ministry to them. And in chapter 3, Paul contrasts the old covenant ministry that the false teachers wanted to return to with the new covenant ministry that he had received by the grace of God. And as he contrasts these two eras, these two ministries, he lays out for us the effects the spiritual effects, the capital S spiritual effects of New Covenant ministry. And I put it that way because it is the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. What we're looking at here is the effects of the Spirit on us who believe. Let's look back to verses 6 and 7. He speaks of being made competent to be a minister of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And he says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And if you scan over verse 6, you can see that he refers to Moses. And and what we were referring to from Exodus chapter 33 and 34, that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which... That glory was being brought to an end. You see, Moses was a minister of the old covenant, which covenant Paul calls the letter. And he says the letter kills. Letter is simply, to help your understanding, letter is simply a a catchword for the law of the old covenant that God had given to his people through Moses at Sinai. It's a catchword for the law, which is encapsulated in the Ten Commandments engraved on those stone tablets. So letter is simply his word for the law. And he says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In fact, he says in, in verse 7 that it, that old ministry from the Old Covenant was a ministry of death. It ministered death. Th- that brings up the question, what in the world is wrong with the law. And Paul's answer is that nothing is wrong with the law. In fact, in Romans, he says that the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem is not with the commandment. The problem is with our corruption. That we can trace all the way back to that first treason that was committed by our parents in the Garden of Eden. You remember Satan came to Eve and he said, if you will eat of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not die. God knows that you will be like him, knowing good and evil. And a lot of what he said wasn't exactly wrong. 
they would be like God in the sense that they would know good and evil. But what he deliberately failed to mention was that once they had committed that treason against God, once they had chosen the evil, they would no longer have any power within themselves to keep the good. And so when God finally encoded his law into writing, it did not matter how much glory was shining from the face of Moses. The people couldn't bear it because they had no heart for it. They didn't have any kind of inclination in the heart for the glory of God. They couldn't bear the sight. So the problem is not with the commandment in the Old Covenant. The problem is with our inner corruption. So the law couldn't change a soul. The letter can't change a soul. We need to be changed. We need a resurrection. We need the new creation. And we need the Holy Spirit of God to accomplish that in our hearts and in our souls. So he contrasts the Old Covenant with the new. And he says, the former ministry, the old covenant, was temporary. And it ministered condemnation. But he's reminding his readers, he's reminding us, that that old covenant came with so much glory that the reflection of it shot beams out of Moses' face. It was incredible. And he's arguing here, from the lesser to the greater. He says, if that old covenant that was temporary and ministered condemnation with a sentence of death had that much glory that they couldn't even look upon Moses' face, how much more glory is there in this new day through this new covenant that God has brought us into? How much more glory? There is an incalculable difference between the old covenant that was temporary, ministered condemnation, and the new covenant, which is permanent, and ministers righteousness to the people of God, leading to eternal life. And if there's that much difference between the two, what must be the difference in the glory? Remember last week when we were talking about what would it be like to go back to that that day and age and see what the Old Testament people of God saw with the, the miracles and which brought them out of Egypt and, and the men on the ground every day, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of by fire, or even just to see before Moses threw the veil on the light that shone out of his face. I mean, it's, it's kind of tempting to, to wish for that, isn't it? But I want to tell you again what I said last week, that Moses would give his right arm to be us, to see by faith sight the glory of God that we may see in the face of God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 12 to 15, which we've already read in this chapter, we see that Moses had to withhold from Israel because without the Spirit of God within them, they had no tolerance for the vision of God's glory. And I just want to remind you quickly. Remember, God said to Moses, you're, you're not even going to see my face. You can't see my face. No man can see my face and live. So you're going to see the back part. 
You're going to see the afterglow of the glory of God, the trailing edge. You're going to see the traces of my glory. And so, what was reflected off of Moses' face? Well, it was traces of that. Without the Spirit of God within us, we can't even bear the traces of the traces of the glory of God. We can't work up the appetite for God's glory. We can't conjure up the capacity to see it. And so at the end of verses 12 to 15, Paul writes that to this very day, whenever Moses is read, referring to the old covenant, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the hearts of the unbelieving, the unbelieving Jews in particular. A veil lies over their hearts. They cannot see that the glory that God displayed to Moses is no more. The glory of the old covenant, that is, is no more. It's defunct because it has been replaced by this new covenant. And the glory of the new covenant is permanent. They could not understand that the glory of that day was actually pointing forward to the greater glory that would come in the person of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God and who is the image of the invisible God. So let's get into verses 16 through the end of the chapter because this is what we rejoice in now, that everything is changed for you and I. Paul says in verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The blindness is taken away from our eyes. This is a reference, verse 16 is, to to Moses turning back into the, the tent of meeting to meet with God. Because it said there in Exodus 34, that when he turned to the Lord, to the tent of meeting, he removed the veil. Now, Paul says, When we turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. And notice how he writes this quickly. Notice he does not say, when we turn to the Lord, we remove the veil. He doesn't write it in the active voice. We remove the veil. He writes it in the passive voice. The veil is removed, telling us, that someone else is removing the veil from our eyes. And quickly, he identifies that one. In verse 17, when he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Spirit of God has come to us to remove the veil from our hearts, that you and I may behold truly, though it be spiritually, it is truly that we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The Father arranged this work of redemption. And he sent the Son to accomplish this work of redemption through his life and through his death through his resurrection. And Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who now applies the work of redemption to our hearts. 
so that when we turn to the Lord in repentance and faith, this veil is taken away. The Holy Spirit takes the veil away so that we may see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I I want you to see, I want you to realize the work of the triune God in this passage. I want you to realize the work of the triune God in your life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from the old covenant. Freedom from the ministry of death and condemnation. Freedom from that judgment of God. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the wrath of God that is looming over mankind. And especially now, in particular, Paul is talking about freedom from that veil. Freedom from that blindness which once covered over the eyes of our hearts and kept us from seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of His Son, Jesus. Freedom from the blindness that the small g God of this age still holds the world in captivity to. We are freed from that. We are free now to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We are free by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit frees us to see glory. And this reference, this word glory, is reference to Christ. We are free to see Christ. And he says, free to see the glory of the Lord. And I believe that Lord here is reference to the Father. In fact, if you look over to chapter 4, verse 6, which I keep talking about, you can see this. Okay, so we have the, the work of the triune God here. By the Spirit we are free... By the Spirit, we have eyes to see glory. That glory comes to us in the face of Jesus. And He is the glory of the Father. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Spirit gives us eyes to behold the Son who radiates to us the glory of the Father. Do you maybe feel pity, sympathy, bad for the Israelites who couldn't bear the glory that shone off of Moses' face? I feel a lot more pity for those Christians today who don't get this who don't realize that what we have in the new covenant today, by the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit of God, is 10,000 times 10,000 times better than what the Israelites had and what they saw or couldn't bear to see. What we have is so much more glorious because Jesus Christ has come. The radiance of the glory of God in these last days The author to the Hebrews declares, God has spoken to us by His Son. And this vision that we see, I want to read verse 18 again. It says, We all now, the people of God, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image 
from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. If anybody here has kind of a, a hankering after some of the, the pop psychology of this world, Dr. Phil, Oprah, that kind of stuff, which there's a lot of theology on there, by the way. If any of you has a, a hankering for any of that kind of thing, or for, I forget it, forget it. I am going to, it's my commitment to you, hold up to you the glory of God in the face of His Son, Jesus, because that's how you're changed. That's how you are transformed. That's what the Word of God declares. We are transformed into the same image. What image? That of Jesus Christ. From one degree of glory to another. Let me caution you. A lot of people get better with age. But that's not the kind of change that I want to see in my life. And that's not the kind of change any of us should ever settle for in our lives. That we just mature with experience or we mellow out like so many people do in their golden years, you know. That's not the kind of change we should be looking for. Because, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who ended up maturing. There's going to be a lot of well-rounded people in hell who never experienced the transformation that only comes when we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And you know that maturing and mellowing thing is great. It's nice because it makes the world a more livable place. But let not those who belong to God ever settle for that. Let us keep our eyes fixed on the glory of God in the face of His Son. And so I'm asking you, not just are you changing, we're all changing, but are you becoming Christ-like? So going back to the, the whole original question, are you glad for what you're becoming? Are you glad for what you are changing into? Are you becoming more and more like Christ? Now, what if the Holy Spirit of God especially and uniquely beams the glory of God in the face of Jesus in certain places, in certain specific places? What should we do? We should put ourselves in those places. We should position ourselves right where the Spirit of God is beaming the light of the glory of God from the face of Jesus. We need to position ourselves, to use another analogy, where the Spirit is pouring out. So I'm going to give you three things quickly. Theologians call these the means of grace. And a lot of people, Christians, think, Maybe by now, if you've been a Christian a long time, you had Christian parents all coming up and you were raised in church, maybe you think this sounds, you might think that this is cliche stuff, but it's not. Read the Bible, pray, and go to church. Because that's where the Spirit of God is pouring out. It's in these three places that uniquely the Spirit of God is beaming this light from the face of the sun. We must pray. Let me back up. That's the second thing. Let's read the Word of God. 
let's get into the scriptures. The Bible says, for it's claiming about itself, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, which means that it's God-breathed. You may be aware that very often the Spirit of God is presented to us as the breath of God or the wind of God. Think of the valley of dry bones and the wind, the the four winds coming into the, the corpses of the army of Israel to raise them up back to life. That's the Spirit of God. Jesus refers to that in, in John chapter 3, when he talks about, you know, you, you see the wind, uh, the effects of the wind, but you don't know where it has come from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So when the Bible says it's God-breathed, there's a very strong hint there in 2 Timothy 3 that the author of the word is the Spirit. To, to be more concrete and specific, in 2 Peter, it says that holy men of old didn't speak on their own accord, of their own accord. They were moved. They spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. So the Spirit has authored this word. And what is the story that he has told? He's told us of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 5, Moses wrote of me. The Spirit is speaking to us of Christ in this word. After his resurrection, the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, that Jesus interpreted in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In all the scriptures, and of course the only thing that they had at that time was the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. So all of this book is about Jesus. If we want to put ourselves with the Spirit is pouring out, if we want to position ourselves to see that light, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, we must be in this Word. And we must pray. We must be a praying people. Our knees must be on the floor. Now those two, first two means of grace are different from one another reading the Bible and praying. They're distinct from one another. We understand that. In reading the Word of God, God speaks to us. In praying, we speak back to God. But even though they're distinct, we cannot separate them. They go together. They seriously overlap. So we pray. We pray that God would speak to us in His Word. And we pray, we must be praying over what God speaks to us. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 that all of those who ask the Father for the Spirit will be given the Spirit. That is an incredible promise. If you have known that promise, and this whole past week you have gone without praying that God would give to you His Holy Spirit, I don't know what you were thinking. What an incredible promise. This is how we are changed. This is how we behold the glory of God in the face of His Son. It's through His Holy Spirit. And God has promised, if we will but ask, if we will but pray, He will give to us His Holy Spirit. How can we go a week without praying that God would give to us His Spirit? But listen, if that has been your past week, the blood of Jesus covers last week. And being united to Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection, you are freed to pray better this coming week. Let us pray that God would give to us His Spirit so that we would have eyes to see 
the glory of God in the face of his son and be transformed into that image. And finally, last means of grace where the spirit is pouring out is in the fellowship of the church. And I want to encourage you not only to, you know, get here, not only to attend and sit, but to participate in the fellowship of the church. Because what has gone on through the week is, uh, at least a lot of it, is we have been receiving personally and individually from this fountain of life. And we come to the church and we meet and assemble with the people of God so that blessing, that we have received that fountain may overflow to meet each other's needs, to give comfort, to give encouragement, if needs be, to give rebuke. That's why we come to the church. So we've done all of this reading, and we have done all of this praying. And the ministry that we have received by the new covenant Holy Spirit now goes out to meet each other's needs. And we build each other up in the faith. And we together grow up by this interpersonal ministry of the Holy Spirit. We grow up in every way into Christ. Read the Bible. Pray. And participate in the fellowship of the church. That's where to go. To receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You will become... I promise you, you will become what the eyes of your heart behold. If the world and its pleasures looms large before the eyes of your heart, correspondingly, Jesus is receding into the shadows, into the background, and you will become what you behold. So let us stand where the Spirit is pouring out with the mouths of our hearts, the eyes of our hearts wide open. God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son by His Holy Spirit. That is the day in which we live the new covenant day. The end of the ages has come upon us. We are living in the last times. The Spirit has been poured out into the hearts of the people of God. The veil has been removed. The blindness with it. And we may behold the glory of God in the face of His Son and be transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. Let us pursue it with all of our hearts until the day comes when we stand before our God and we see Him face to face. When our sight becomes full and we behold Him with heart and soul and mind and strength. Father, thank You, Father, that you have put us in this particular day. We know all things are under your providence and we could have been born in another place. We could have been born in another time. We could have been born before Jesus 
came. Or we could have been born in a different land, in a different culture, without access to your word, without the preaching of your word. But you have put us in this time and in this place, and you have given us every advantage to see your glory in the face of your Son. I know, Father, that we take this for granted. And we don't take advantage as we ought of every channel and means of your grace where the Spirit is pouring out. I pray, Father, that you would create within our hearts longing to behold the glory of your Son so that we will pursue transformation into his image. I know, Father, because you have promised what you have begun in us, this transformation, you will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For this, I praise you. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen.